Since 1998, Stamps.com has been an indispensable tool for nearly one million businesses. Stamps.com brings you the services of the U.S. Postal Service and the UPS shipping right to your computer. Whether you're an office sending invoices, a side hustle Etsy shop, or a full-blown warehouse shipping out orders, Stamps.com will make it easy for you and easier for your life. All you need is a computer and a standard printer. No special supplies or equipment are needed. Within minutes, you're up and running. Printing official postage for any letter, any package, anywhere you want to send. And you'll get exclusive discounts on postage and shipping from the UPS and USPS. Once your mail is ready to schedule a pickup or drop it off, no traffic, no lines. Cut out the confusion of shipping. With Stamps.com, new rate advisor, you can compare shipping rates and timelines to easily find the best option. Save time and money with Stamps.com. There is no risk. And with the promo code POD, that is P-O-D, you get a special offer that is including four weeks of a free trial plus free postage on a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in POD. That's Stamps.com, promo code POD. Stamps.com, never go to the post office again. The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? to the two-man power trip of wrestling i'm your host jp john pause with me today is a very special guest the former nwa world television champion former ovw world champion former ovw tv champion former ovw tag team champion he's of course formerly known as elijah burke he is the pope pope welcome to the two-man power trip how you doing wonderful 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 thank you for having me aboard i'm always going to be elijah burke by the way that's post birth name so i can't escape that <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> But all is well in the hood, as I like to say. Everything is good. And I'm just just blessed to be here and uh, have one more opportunity to speak with someone like you uh, about the world of professional wrestling. Nice. Good stuff. Before we kind of get into the wrestling stuff, what's going on with the Love Alive charity and kind of everything you're doing over there? Well, um, speaking of the Love Alive charity, first thing I want to do is thank you for um, supporting our cause. And our cause is simply to... Uh, be the change that we wish to see in the world. So we uh, 
take care of, help assist the homeless and in the community of Jacksonville, Florida. We have our 10th year anniversary coming up where we will hold our 10th annual love drive. Our love drives are basically where we do what I just explained with sis. We uh, feed, we don't feed out of a soup truck. We don't feed out of a brown paper bag. Uh, we feed them directly out of Burger King, hot burgers, hot sandwiches, chicken sandwiches, whatever. Okay, then we have a slew of other things that we provide them with. We provide them with uh, clothes, shoes, um, uh, new items as well, not just uh, donated clothes, which we do accept. Um, we have uh, book bags filled with uh, the necessary tools for kids to achieve academic success to help them. And then we also have um, you know, hygiene products, blankets for those that are on the street, and the list goes on and on. So it's something um, that I've taken much pride in since its establishment in 2011, and um, we're still kicking, we're still chugging along. I like to refer to it as the mom and pop organization. We're not funded by the government nor the city. Uh, we've been funded directly out of Pope's pocket and those who believe in this cause. So um, I thank you again. And if there's anybody that listening um, to this right now that wish to uh, support our cause, uh, you can visit love-alive.org. Okay. And um, there's a donate uh, tab up there. And I always tell people $1 makes a difference. It don't matter. Uh, uh, but $1 does make a difference. We spend more than that on the value meal. And we don't even finish the value meal. That's how Post Love Alive Charity started. So again, guys, love-alive.org. You can learn about it. You can read up on it. You can meet the board members. We're 501c3 certified through the state of Tallahassee. Uh, you can also go to the Love Alive Charities Facebook page under that name, the Love Alive Charity, as well as the Love Alive Charity on Instagram. And you can follow us there and stay updated. Very cool. How'd you kind of get started doing that? That's, I mean, that's great. Awesome job, like doing that with the community and everything else. Well, um, it simply started as um, from a value meal. It started from somebody going up at McDonald's. I was having a conversation with a family member. Someone stopped at McDonald's, pulled to the trash can, threw a bag in. And while I was talking to that family member, I saw a homeless man walk up and open the trash and retrieve whatever was edible out of that bag. And um, it, it, it was that moment um, that, that initiated the process. However, um, growing up in, this, in the community of Jacksonville, Florida, we, we've always had a homeless problem. So um, being a young kid, uh, going to the grocery store, mom, you know, sends you to get a box of cereal for your, bro your siblings. And there's homeless people outside asking a, you know, a nine, 10 year old kid for change. And, and um, that was something that I became very used to, familiar to. And I always said that if I had a chance to give back, uh, to make a difference, not necessarily to give back, but just to make a difference, that I would do that. Very cool. Very good stuff there. So what's going on with you and the NWA? What's the latest from the NWA? I don't know. You tell me. We just finished uh, Kentucky's By Any Means Necessary on the state lines of Tennessee. Uh, got some big stuff going on there, obviously. Um, it was a big event, um, well received by that community uh, of Oak Grove, Kentucky, and um, that was uh, that's going to air and probably have aired past this uh, or since this podcast. But nonetheless, um, we're chugging along. We're moving towards Hard Times Two, which is going to be on December the third or December the fourth, and. Um, out of the uh, GVP studios in Atlanta, Georgia. So uh, 
post chugging along. Um, I got the direct deposit in my back pocket, and um, for that to cash in for that NWA World Title shot. And right now we're just sitting back, we're just watching and waiting, and uh, letting Trevor do his thing and enjoy the moment. Just talked to him not that long ago. He seems like uh, loving life as the NWA World Champion. You know, following in Harley Race's footsteps there, big time. As he should. As he should. With NWA, how often do you guys tape? It feels like sometimes you guys are, like, taping a bunch all at once, and then sometimes it seems scattered. Do you guys tape more often than I real- I'm realizing? Well, yeah, COVID slowed it down, obviously. Uh, COVID brought a business change uh, uh, to everyone in the business, so the format just changed up. Uh, but now, since everything is kind of with the vaccinations and, and people becoming inoculated or whatnot, and you having your inoculated, vaccinated, whatever. But you got people that are becoming more aware of the rules uh, of how to protect themselves and each other. So now we're getting back out and we're doing a lot. You know, we're going to be doing more tapings on the road as well as just the studio. What do you think of the NWA just as a whole? Because to me, it's like you might be, which is crazy to think this because you're not small at all, but you may be one of the smaller guys in the NWA. I feel like they're very old school in the sense where it's the guys look like wrestlers. You know what I mean? You you guys all look like pro wrestlers. Not to say anything bad about some other leagues, but I've seen some guys who are really, really small. I'm like, man, not what I'm used to as like an older fan or whatever, middle-aged wrestling fan. You know, I'm not really used to like, wow, this small guy doesn't look like what I grew up with like as a wrestler. Everybody in the NWA looks like a wrestler. And it's crazy to think you might be one of the smaller guys, which is nuts. Well, I think it's called variety. And as long as you have variety in any type of profession, then you're creating a opportunity to be successful, to do your uh, your company and, and its consumers. Uh, you, you open the door to more possibilities because of variety. You got tires tipping the scales at 400 pounds. You know, you got Bram at, you know, 260 and all of that. So, yeah, and, and then, then we have the smaller guys like the Carino and the Sal Renaro and, and so forth. But uh, it's, variety is good. Um, nobody wants one thing. Uh, if you have just one set of uh, talent that all look alike, act alike, wrestle alike, then it's just not as entertaining as you pointed out about the way it should be and the way it was. So, Yeah, I talked to Billy not that long ago either, and he his like mindset is very old school in a certain sense. Obviously, you mix the old school with the new school, but he likes guys that, you know, they look like they're wrestlers. It's like that old school mentality. Like, would you rather walk on the side of the street, the Pope or like Marco stunt? Right. Obviously, you know what I mean? Like it's like that old school mentality as, as a fan. I liked it. Do you like more of like being like an old school kind of guy? I know you obviously came from rip and like OVW for a while, but are you more old school? I, I, I believe I would consider myself to be more old school being that I grew up on NWA. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I, I got a chance to witness all type of athletes. Um, Obviously, Dusty Rose was, you know, three hundred pound white man, uh, and, and look what he was able to do, you know. And you had you had so many different um, guys there. But here's the one thing about it, you know, uh, you look at Abdul the Butcher, and and you know, almost nearly four hundred pounds. Uh, but wasn't nobody going to mess with Abdul the Butcher? Whether he was in the alley in a bar in the airport, no one's going to attempt. Uh, and 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 that's the 
that's the respect level that the wrestlers uh, accurate back then. Uh, today, uh, as you uh, have pointed out in your own way, that's for a lot of uh, for a lot of fans and uh, and uh, a lot of those who see what we do. It's just not there. Were you always a wrestling fan growing up? Uh, brother, from I wouldn't be in this business if I wasn't. Um, for all the Johnny Come Latelys, I think it's, um, I think now a lot of people are, are looking at becoming a professional wrestler and uh, not it's not a dream of theirs. Being a professional wrestler was a dream. That's all I was a uh, that's all I was a fan of. You know, when I was in elementary school, I remember, uh, you know, during the dare days and, you know, uh, you know, the, the drug campaign of dare when I'm everybody's standing up doing their, uh, what they're going to be when they become an older individual and graduate and all that stuff. And some said doctors, some said lawyers, some said policemen, some said firemen. I said wrestler, you know, and I was laughed at, but, that was my dream. I don't. Uh, a lot of guys aren't dreaming. They just see this opportunity now to be on TV, or to possibly become a star. It's not something that they necessarily, you know, dreamed about. But could be famous. Maybe move on to the movies. Something. Right. Yeah, for right. sure. Who were some of uh, your favorites? You mentioned Dusty. Who were some of your favorites growing up? Dusty Flair, Steve, Nikita, Magnum. Um, Obviously, most of the horsemen, um, and then you know the the Ron Simmons, Booker T, and Harlem Heat. Um, so I had a, I had a fair share. Uh, I was more of an NWA guy. Obviously, everybody loved Hogan. Um, everybody loved the Warrior. Everybody loved Macho Man as well. Um, but those were and and Jake the Snake, Arn Anderson. As far as you know, psychology mentality goes, yeah, those guys that work. Um, so they're those guys are certainly up there with the rest of them. Cream of the crop, the best of the best. Yeah. Just getting back to the NWA nowadays, what do you think of Billy and his vision and kind of where you guys are as far as the NWA right now? Well, without a vision, you'll perish, and obviously, Billy has a vision. Um, Billy is the one man that's in charge, and uh, we go with that. So we 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 support uh, Billy and his vision, and we all hop on board. We have to be on board together, uh, regardless of any personal uh, likes or dislikes. Uh, we just kind of, you know, and obviously we're appreciative uh, because of Billy's vision and the way he's handled the business of the NWA. Uh, he's been able to maintain it, uh, even though there's a brief layoff, of the uh when the COVID hit uh, we had to stop taping but he found a way to keep the interest of uh the nwa going and and so i think what billy's doing is a great job uh obviously um there's a lot of inclusiveness there as well with billy um and and the number one thing for pope is um it's go be pope I, you know, and, and, and Billy supports Pope being Pope. There's no, you know, I don't, there's no script and there's no writing. There's no, just go be Pope. 
you like that a lot better because they always say like the WWE method, the script, you got to read it right off the paper. Billy is much more like, here's the podium or, you know, here's the mic. Go get it. Maybe he gives you a bullet point or two, but I mean, it's really, you're, you're on your own to get uh, over. Uh, yeah. I, I think that's always going to be the best. I didn't have to worry about that too much in WWE either because Dusty Rose was my guy. He was the one that took all of my stuff. I mean, he was my producer, agent, whatever you want to call it. So didn't have to worry about that too much. Um, just just hit the bullet points and I said what I, what I said, how I wanted to say it, the way I wanted to say it. And and um, that's kind of where we're at today. You know, it's, it's uh, no one will ever... Problem is, if you're not a talker, you'll never be a talker. I don't care if you're trying to read the script or not. If you're never, you can't take somebody and, and put them on commentary, on commentary, and expect them to be a commentator if they don't know how to. If they've never been one, they're not a good talker. They never will be, and and so a lot of that just comes from the person and their personality. How come it comes so natural to you? You're just like a smooth talker. You know, even very early on in the business, just it just comes easy to you. Just comes natural. You just you know kind of rolls off the tongue. Hey, well, pretty much. Um, there's something that it's they refer to in the business as it. And some people have it and some people don't. Um, it's not something that can be taught. It's not something that can necessarily be learned. You might get close to it, but there's, you know, to be uncomfortable with it, but there's, there's either you just have it or you don't, you know, and a lot of guys that come before me, uh, they had the gift of gab, whether that's, you know, Dusty, whether that's Flair, uh, whether that's uh, Macho Hogan, uh, whether it was Arn or Jake, you know, notice all the guys that I named as being the great ones. They, they were also great talkers. So, either, you know, those guys, and I'm pretty sure they didn't have to. Muhammad Ali, you know, um, he was just gifted. It's one of those things, man. They just, they know what to say. And even like Arn and Jake, they don't necessarily yell or anything, but just the way they say it and kind of the way that they're, they're coming off. I mean, even Arn still to this day is still great at it. Right. I mean, I love watching him. I feel like maybe they should use him more, but even today he didn't yell or scream or curse. He's just Arn. And he says something very profound usually. Mm -hmm. And and that's Arn Anderson for you. And um, anytime you need a good promo, certainly you can go to Arn. Feel like with you being the TV champion or former TV champion of the NWA, you got to be thinking Arn had that very similar same uh, belt that he was holding. I mean, that, that's got to be a good feeling, right? Former uh, TV champion, just like some of your heroes. Well, yeah, to, to have that and to hold that after those guys and to be the sixth longest all time, um, the longest of the modern era, obviously, but to be on that list and to have a 290 day reign to come right behind. Uh, you know, Paul Jones, Tully Blanchard, uh, Arn Anderson, Mike, Rotund- Mike Rotundo, and, you know, I think uh, Steve Austin. Those are great names to, to top five names to be above you. That's them. So it's a great honor. Sometimes the guys always say, like, oh, the titles are proper. It doesn't mean anything. But to me, I think it does mean something to the guys. I don't think that's necessarily true about – you know, being a prop or being used as a storyline thing. I mean, I think it's much more to the wrestlers, right? Like to win a title, especially one with significance and history behind it. Well, I think I think every title, uh, uh, every championship, whether that's NBA, NFL, they're all props, aren't they? 
It's just it's just something that you go after to obtain the title of world champion. The title is what you're labeled as. The props are the championship rings. The props are the trophies. The props are the plaques and whatever it is that you're chasing to say that you're the champion. So anything is a prop. Uh, it's, it's the title that you're after. And the title is whatever NBA world champions, NWA world champion, WWE world champion, NFL, Super Bowl champions. That's the title. What do you think about Tyrus? I see him all the time. You know, he's on Fox News. He's on uh, Gutfeld or whatever, a great Gutfeld show. He's wearing the NWA TV title on TV all the time. What do you, what do you think about that? It's pretty cool. I think it's I think it's great of him to do. Why wouldn't he do that? Why wouldn't he represent the company um, that he uh, obviously is a part of and won that great title? Uh, if, if he's on there, draws more fans to the product. So it's a smart move by him. Um, it brings awareness. It creates questions for those who don't know what it is. Then they can get on social media, hit him up, and he can explain it or he can share something. Or if they go on social media, they'll see it. You know, they'll see it in his profile or it's some of the stuff that he shares. So I think that's good that he does that. Yeah, pretty cool. Just like flicking through, you're like, oh my God, oh, he's wearing the NWA TV title. Or you're right, if somebody didn't realize it, they would look him up and say, oh, he's the TV channel, oh, Fight TV. Or you know, I'll check out NWA and YouTube or NWA Wrestling.com. I mean, you mean check out a bunch of different stuff. It, it opens up uh, some questions too. Mm-hmm. And that's a good and that's the good thing about it. And I think that's uh I think he'll continue to do that as long as he has it. <laughs> So with you and obviously, you know, your pro wrestling career, but how did you, if we can rewind, how did you actually get in? I know you were an amateur boxer at first and a pretty damn good one, if I remember correctly, uh, like 100-0 or something, or 101 and the one loss was a DQ or something. So how did you actually get in or how did you get from boxing to wrestling? Uh, just putting someone, um, you know, put someone in jail or admitting them into the uh, jail and somehow some way across the computer screen i don't know why i saw a banner for the first ever obw wrestling trial camp and i always wanted to get away in i remember thinking i was going to go to the power plant one of these days you know i was five years into my wrestling uh to my uh law enforcement career and um crossing over to the streets and everything and i saw i saw the opportunity just for a tryout and i got excited and um I, I, I took two weeks off, went to, to Louisville, uh, to OBW's first ever trial camp. And, you know, I was up there for a week, I believe, and went back. And um, a couple of months later, Jim Cornette called me and said I didn't know anything. Um, didn't know a headlock from a wrist lock, didn't know an arm bar from a crowbar, but I got something and uh, that I was trainable. Got a good look. You didn't lie. You didn't come in and say you you had this many years of experience, and then you get in there and you crap the bed. He was like, "We we can train you," and I'm telling you, but I'm not telling you to do this. But I'm telling you, if you come back, you'll get your contract. That's how sure Jim Cornette was. So that's how I got into the business. Was the boxing thing true? Were you were really almost undefeated amateur boxer? Did you really have a hundred wins? Why wouldn't that be true? I don't know. Who's going to make that up? 
<laughs> I don't know if wrestlers just they say stuff. I don't know. I know. I didn't know wrestlers don't say that. History says that. When I came in, they explained to you who I was. I've done several interviews uh, talking about uh, about who I am and what. Yeah, I, I was that brother way before WWE. You know. So yeah. Yes. So, so nah, that's true. So with Cornette, like, what was your feeling on him? You know, everyone says he, he, he's a, a polarizing figure, this and that, but it seems like you guys kind of hit it off right away. Yeah, well, why, why wouldn't? I mean, Jim Cornette is Jim Cornette, even to this day. So I have nothing but love for Jim Cornette. You know, I, I've never had a bad word with him. Everything's ever always been on a respectful level. So Jim Cornette is Jim Cornette, and uh, he's going to always be Jim Cornette. So either you love him or you hate him. That's just the way it's going to be with Jim Cornette. But... Uh, yeah, we 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 didn't just hit it off. I think Jim Cornette just saw, as he always has, running his own promotion, Smokey Mountain, and all that stuff. He just saw talent. He saw talent, and he was excited about it. And and therefore, you know, he took a lot of pride and pleasure in, in helping to mold me into where I'm at. Uh, he took a big part of that in the early stages for sure. I think some of that stuff with Cornette too, he just plays it up because he's playing almost a character on his uh, podcast sometimes where he's, you know, he'll play it up because he'll garner more views or something where people will definitely kind of be interested, whether you said you're right, whether they love him or hate him, they'll be interested in what he's saying, but that's great that he took the liking to you. He saw that the it factor, if you will, that you were kind of mentioning yeah. before. Yeah. I, I don't think there's no, I, I don't know necessarily what you're referring to, but I don't jump Cornette is jump Cornette. And, Jim, and everything Jim Cornette says, Jim Cornette means. Hmm. Uh, that's Jim Cornette. Um, he's the same way that he's always been, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Whether whether he says stuff people like or whether he says stuff people don't like. Jim Cornette has never been his tongue. Since, since when has Jim Cornette not been an outspoken character, as you just said? That's Jim Cornette. That's not just right. a character. That's Jim Cornette. Right. I got you. Um I feel like with Cornette, though, you're right. He his like as far as scouting talent, bringing in all those great guys to OVW. You know, add yourself to the list. He's been spot on with with a ton of those guys. Bring you know, Cena, Batista, and so on. Was Rip the always the trainer for you when you got in there? Like, who did the the actual training part when they actually put you in the ring? Um, well, I mean, Rip was very hands on, but he wasn't necessarily. There was there was like two. There was like three levels. There's three phases you got the beginners intermediate which is rips and then you had the contract class so you had to you had to go through that process and so while you have uh your once you graduate from basic training then you go on to rips and that rip is about uh teaching you your your holes sometimes you train with rip and you never get in the ring you're on the floor really well, and that would probably benefit a lot of guys today who don't know how to chain wrestle. You get on the floor, you work a hole. And then he says switch, and you work a hole. And then he says switch, and now whatever hole you was working before, you don't go back to it. You go to a different one. And then you say switch, and then you go back to So it's, it's methodical. Uh, and, and, and teaching, he had a way in teaching you, and, and very grateful for it too, uh, because I can get in the ring today and wrestle with someone, wrestle for three to minutes or half long I want to, and never disconnect. 
And by disconnect, I mean losing a grip, letting your hands loose, stay connected to them the whole time. You won't see that much because nobody really rustled anymore. That is true. The chain wrestling stuff, it should be there. Yeah, Where it's you not there. You, 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 you might get an arm bar go behind, and after that, it's all running in spots. Right, absolutely. Yeah, it's just be remember, sure memorization spots, yeah. Be sure to go watch uh, the, the power from By Any Means Necessary that I was alluding to earlier. Go watch that match with Kobe uh, Carino and Pope. Oh, nice. All right, I'm going to have to check that one out. With uh, OVW, you were saying there's there's the contract the class. So who like how do you how do you break it down to the levels? Like you start out with Rip, and then you move on to like no, you start out in the beginners class. That was probably Nick Desmore that was running at that time because he was oh you know a homegrown talent. Um, will be signed himself, but you know you always just had someone that would train the newbies. You know, and and it wasn't about ring time per se. It was about understanding the. Uh, systematics, uh, uh, understanding the uh, 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 just the nuances, if you will, or not, I should say, but understanding how to properly take a bump, understanding how to properly go over the top rope or through the rope, or just little things like that. Um, <clears throat> that that some people will take as a nuance because they want to do a lot more things. But yeah, just the fundamental teachings of professional wrestling. Then when you get to rip, after you know how to take a fall and you can properly take your bump or whatnot, now you go to rip, and now you're you're, you're doing other stuff, you know. And rip would do drills every now and then, but he just focused on you knowing how to wrestle, how, how to how to wrestle. And then when he finally got you in the ring, he wanted to see a babyface sell. He wanted to see a heel get heat, you know. Um, for, for for instance, you know, um, heels don't, a lot of heels today don't necessarily get heat. They may do a cool move to stop a guy, but if a heel is doing a cool move to stop a guy, is that going to make me want to hate him when that heel looks so cool doing it? No, it's going to make me want to cheer him. So, so Rip taught psychology. That's what Rip taught. I mean, he was just spot on. You know, if I'm supposed to be the bad guy, I don't want to, it was the reason I stopped doing my Adam Lemus elbow drop off the top rope when I would run and stand on the top rope and come back. I stopped doing that because I was the bad guy. And if I'm the bad guy doing that and the good guy can't, does not do a move that is more impressive than that, it hurts the match. It hurts what we're trying to convey. That's psychology. So outside of that, um, once you got done with Rip, if you got signed, then you moved on to the contract class. And that was, you know, at multiple people that WWE would have come down. Um, you know, Al Snow became the guy, but before that it was like Lance Storm and um, Bill DeMont before they shipped him down to uh, Atlanta, the Deep South. Uh, Dean Malenko would be down, you know, um, uh, Sarge would be down. So they would just constantly have people coming, but you're, you're uh, I remember Robert Gibson was there for a while. Um, but they would constantly have guys coming in and out, but you also always had a mainstay. And Lance at the time was assigned to OVW before it was Lance and Al Snow, and then Al Snow. And that was your contract class. Such a great like system. Was there any problems with like contracted wrestlers and non-contracted wrestlers? Because you Never. had a bunch of them. Oh, no? Never. Never. Um, I don't recall, but um, everybody... Everybody pulled for one. I got, I, I I got signed 
during a contracted WWE meeting, contract talent only meeting. I got signed in a contracted talent only meeting. Okay. Hmm. Jim Cornette called me, Elijah, what are you doing? I'm at, um, I'm at work trying to make me okay. I need you to get here. Get somebody to come. Stephanie, Stephanie's here. John Laurinaitis is here. I want you to come. I want you to cut a promo. I get there. All the contracted people are in the stands, and um, they're having them to talk. They're having them to get in the ring in front of Steph and Tommy Dreamer and uh, John Laurinaitis and whoever else was there. They got them all getting in the ring. And they're cutting promos because they're, they're trying to figure out who they want, who they're going to bring up, who's ready, who's not ready, whatever. And so um, when that happened, um, it was over with. And Jim goes, hey, Steph, hey, Steph, I got one more. Hold on. I just want you to hear this guy. I want you to meet a lot. I mean, he just stepped up for me. I got one more. You know, he's not, he's not one of our contracted guys, but I want you to. And I got in the ring. Stephanie said, okay. And I got in the ring, I spoke, cut a promo, just talked about me. It wasn't a dry tear in the house. And Stephanie was crying. John Laurinaitis was crying. And um, a week or two later, Tommy Dreamer sent me my contract. Wow. Awesome. What did you say that was, you know, got everybody uh, Uh, emotional? I don't. I I just told my story. That's all. Too long, to, you know. Too long, right? To okay. Here, but I, I just talked about me and my story, my dreams and my aspirations, and while I was and why, what brought me there. That's it. Pretty powerful stuff, though, with Johnny Ace and Stephanie and everybody. You're, you know, getting emotional over it. Pretty awesome. Kid, you made me cry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it, it was. It's one of those things. I mean, um, so to to your question again, no, everybody pulled for everybody for the most part. You know, if somebody got stepped out of line or didn't understand proper protocol, they were put they were put in line. You know, put in place. We had locker room leaders. You know, um, so guys would talk to one another, or you know, and and handle business as as need be. But there was never any animosity to to the extent of you know. Some guys did stupid things, but that's everywhere. But it was it was a, it was a tight ship. The boys policed the boys. You had a great run, though. Think about it. OVW Triple Crown champion. You like you mentioned, you didn't know anything going in, and then all of a sudden, you're the Triple Crown champion. You get a contract. I mean, that's a pretty damn good run you had there. Well, I, I wouldn't say I didn't know anything going in. I didn't know uh, uh, the the psychology and and maybe some you know most of the moves going in but i knew a lot i knew a lot because i always watched and because i watched i didn't just watch for the moves i I studied things i knew timing i knew timing from the very first match i had i knew timing second match i had you have amateur shows so the second match i had danny davis who who's the little wizard behind the curtain (laughs) <laughs> never comes out. The little fat man behind the curtain never comes out. He came and he met me coming through Gorilla after my match. And he said, you were born for this business. You hear me? Got D, that was good. You were born for this. You got it. That was it. 
said, you want to get, he said, your money. Dan Davis told me that, and this was an amateur match, but they hadn't seen somebody come out there, I would assume. Um, and maybe they have, but what he told me meant, meant a lot to me because um, first time I teamed with a, the assassin, that was Alejandro. <laughs> and we both had on what I, uh, Cali Jail shirt, somebody used to fight in when I did my tough man fights. Cali Jail shirt, orange shirt, black sweats. But that second event, I was in a tag team match and um, I completely flipped the script and did something totally different. Got over my, got over me, who I am. Just got over me, a character, which pretty much is what you see today. And he just got up and everybody just stopped what they were doing because here comes the wizard. And he said, you were born for this business. And I'm, I'm, I'm forever grateful to Danny Davis and Jim Cornette because they believed in me and the rest is history. They saw something and they said, you know, you're a natural, you know, at that point. So they, they saw that it factor again, that mysterious it factor. They saw that in you. Indeed. When you actually get called up to WB and like, you're going to be in ECW, who is actually the one that like calls you up? Like, is that like a Johnny Ace role where he says, Hey, you know, we love what you're doing OVW. We want you on TV and WB. Uh, no, I, I think it was a creative process. And yeah, it was a creative process. Around. Court Bauer was the one that called me from creative and told me that I was coming up and what I was coming up to do. So immediately they say, you know, they're probably going to put you, I think it was with Sylvester Turkai right away. Correct. What, what was like, what did they say that what they wanted from you? Basically, just it's going to be you guys put together and we're going to see what we have here? Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, there was there was no detailed anything. It was you, he's an MMA monster. You're his mouthpiece. That's it. That's funny. <laughs> sometimes like there's like this a big elaborate thing, and sometimes it's like oh, let's see what we have. Like you know, like nah. we know we have something there, but let's see. Mm -hmm. No, they just that was it. We um we're 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 looking and um trying to figure out why why am I there and. Um, you know, we didn't get our outfits till the day of. We had to go out and buy it. You know, or, or they went out and buy it. Uh, sent someone out to buy the sweatsuits that we used to wear. Um, so I don't think it was a long fight process. I just think it was something that they were going with. They, they saw it, or let's just go with this. And we did it that same day. I think his first match was against the Tonka, I think. I don't know. With that, what did you think of the new ECW? You probably were familiar with the, or I think you're probably familiar with the old ECW. What did you think? Like, okay, this is interesting. They're trying to, you know, rebrand or, or reintroduce ECW. And they got a bunch of young guys in there, not necessarily give have his roles for us as of yet. Opportunity. That's, that's what it was. Did you immediately think like this is great? I made it to the big time. Were you nervous? Like, were you feeling some pressure at all? Like, what what was the thought process as you entered in into the WWE really for the first time? Well, I mean, I started on SmackDown. I didn't start with ECW, so I started on SmackDown just so that is clear. Okay, right. Yeah, well, I mean, that's where we were. We just we didn't go over to the ECW brand until the actual ECW uh, event, December to December of uh 2006. so uh well you know that was uh, i i see the brand as more of a 
an angle. It was more of an angle than anything. And um, no, I mean, there was, there was, I don't know how much, of course there's nervousness, but there's probably more excitement than anything, you know, more, more excitement because you get the opportunity to, you know, you wish it was on a, on a different, uh, a different concept as far as just, cause we were just kind of put out there, but hey, we're there, and, and I, I've, I've done what I've always done. That's make no, most of the situation that I'm in. I should have uh, probably worded that better. Yeah, obviously, you start with SmackDown, then you move to ECW, but the debut with SmackDown was with uh, uh, Turkai, and like you mentioned, those yeah. those track suits. Um, mm-hmm. To me, it's one of those things where, I don't know, like you're kind of reintroducing ECW, but you have all these new guys, and Dismember ECW's uh, December to uh, Dismember didn't really go off the way I think people wanted it to. It wasn't the, you know the best outing or the best showing at that point. I don't know if you you remember it any differently, but hey, you know from the fan perspective, it wasn't that great of a show. So that I thought our match was good. I don't care about the, what the show was. <laughs> I, I that's not that's not for me to worry about. Right. <laughs> yeah. Did you want to do the commentating stuff? Because I know that you did some commentating stuff there with Joey Styles. Like, was that something too? We're like, wow, this guy's got the gift of gab. Let's try him out on commentary as well. And I, I know, like, they were kind of giving you a bunch of different roles. Yeah, well, they, that was something initially that they thought about too was the commentary. So when when I did the stuff with Joey Styles, that was uh, unnatural for them to go to because of uh, Taz being away. And so yeah, so that was fun. Um, I'm down to do. I love being a jack of many trades, and and that was great. And uh, obviously, I went and did that in TNA, and um, I do it in NWA. Yep. So it's pretty. It's good not to just be one dimensional. You know, if you're one dimensional, then you limit yourself. You're very, I know, like you're great on the mic. So it's funny, like some guys can just adapt like yourself and be, okay, I can do the manager thing a little bit with Torquay. Hey, you want me to commentate with Joey? And then like you you kind of have that that just sense of being able to do, like you said, many different things. Was commentary always kind of on your mind or, or it was just like, okay, I'll try it. And again, I'll I want to do everything that is involved in the world of wrestling. I want to do everything. I've done everything. I run my own events. With, in, in, um, in conjunction with the Love Drives for the Love of Life Charity. Uh, we're going to do Duval Brawl 4 uh, on January the 8th, 2022, which is a big wrestling event as well. Um, so I, I know all aspects of the business. So you can't get in this business and just have, again, be one-dimensional. If you get in this business, or at least from my standpoint, I want to know everything. I want to do everything. I want to know how to build. And of course, ECW, the future of ECW at one point was was a great gimmick. They had the new breed with you guys, which I thought was was a good idea to kind of go up, up against some of uh, you know some of the old guard there. Did mm-hmm. you like that? Because it was something like, wow, you know, you're really going to give you guys a chance and kind of you know give you guys a, a name because you're going up against you know the RVDs and the Sabus of the world, and you know you and Corvan and Thorn, and you're going to take them and Striker, you're going to take them out a part of the new breed. Did you like that angle? Oh, it was great. It was a great angle. Um, it was a great time. Um, those guys were very given and, um, they were very, um, professional and they were helping, you know, as much as they can, certainly dreamer 
from a teaching standpoint, on the job training. So I, I love working all those guys. It was Russell, good. WrestleMania 23 match was good, but the rematch afterwards on ECWTV, I think, was even better. It was a real kind of launching point for you guys, I felt like, or could have been. Yeah, the 23 match got cut down to the time, but we got the time back on on um the you know the ACW that followed and it was uh it was a great um again we knew what we were able to do we just weren't allowed to do it at WrestleMania so we got great TV out of it it was great the the, the second match was great and it really kind of showcased everybody I feel like you got more time and, and really got to showcase the group was that like kind of a breakout point for you you think there as far as like being able to kind of break out from the mold I don't. I, I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. I can't say that. I think. I think that's up to you. That's up to everybody's own opinion. Oh, you know, when a breakout happens or if a change in moment. I mean, I, I I did nothing different. So Benoit, Chris Benoit, you had basically his last ever match, and. It, it seemed to me, obviously, you know, who the heck knows what the people are thinking. But what do you think, looking back, like you had Chris Benoit's last ever match? Um, an honor and a curse at the same time. Ex- explain. What do, you, what do you mean by that? Well, hell, I'm in the ring with Chris Benoit. That's an honor. Right. He's one of the. He was one of the greatest to ever do it. He'll always be one of the greatest to ever do it. Uh, it's a curse because I'm the last man that wrestled Chris Benoit. So I'm always going to be associated as the last guy that wrestled Chris Benoit. So that's what I mean. And I'm always going to be questioned about Chris Benoit and being his last opponent. Nobody asked how the match was. They just asked, what was it? How do you feel being his last opponent? Nobody talk about the match. That's the curse. Let's talk about the match. If, if you don't mind, uh, what do you think about it? I mean, he's definitely one of the best ever to me, easily. Just such a great worker. He could literally have a you know a good match with anybody. Well, <laughs> I don't think that um, you know, I don't think it's uh expounding on it at this point um is going to change uh because me just alluding to what I just did, mm-hmm. uh, it kind of tells you how I feel about the match. It was a very great and emotional match before any of the aftermath that happened. It was a great moment for me. It was, a, it was a great. It was a great moment for me. Great match. And every you, time I'm in there with somebody like uh, of, of that caliber, I, 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 I take it as on the job training. Were you friends like with him as far as like traveling the roads and stuff like that? Were, you were close with him. Well, I mean, I can't say I'm close like a, uh, Eddie, Eddie Guerrero or Chris Jericho or. Chavo, no, I can't say that. But we were we were pretty close uh, on a professional level. Yeah. Obviously, I mean, who the heck knows what really you know happened there, and it just absolute craziness, and just very very sad all the way around, and just obviously his legacy is like you said forever ruined, and, and kind of the curse there with you being his last match. I I just had to bring it up because it's just. One of those things, like you said, people oh, no, no, remember that, yeah. No, listen, that's brought up all the time. I was just making a, I was making a point. You yeah. asked me how I feel, and I told <laughs> you it's a blessing and a curse. You didn't ask me about the match. Nobody <laughs> asks about the match. They ask about being the last opponent. Um, so again, that's part of the curse. Um, nobody, nobody 
necessarily expresses the man. That was a good match. That's all I'm saying. It was a, it was a really really good match. But I'm not I'm not saying that uh, it should be discussed more. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that that's just part of the curse of you know that good work being overlooked. The curse of Benoit's legacy being tainted. You know the the, the curse that. You can't go to the network and pull that match up. The curse. Part of, it's part of the curse. Yep. True. Unfortunately. Yep. Very true. So what do you think about CM Punk? I know he returned now. Um, you guys, I don't know, like, did you guys ever have any sort of relationship? I know you guys wrestled a bunch in ECW. What do you think about the punker? I love CM Punk. Love, love his character. Love what he does. Uh, I, I uh, personally, I don't know him. Character-wise, as far as the person that I wrestled, the character that I wrestled, we didn't have a bad match. So, were you supposed to be, or were ever going to be, the ECW Heavyweight Champion? Well, I was hurt that weekend following that great match that no one ever asked me about when it comes to <laughs> so, I, so Johnny Ace kept me home, and I wanted to come. But I wouldn't have wanted to be the champion anyways if it was based off of the circumstances. So John, they were looking for me. He's home. So they created John Morrison on the spot. What and was the injury? Do you remember the match? Did you even did you watch the match? Well, let me put you on the spot. Did you watch the match? You remember the, the match? This was so long ago, I feel like I yeah, I well, honestly, I watched it originally. My buddy used to order all the pay per views. We'd go to his basement and watch all the matches. So I remember the the pay per view, but I I don't remember if I saw the match or not. Yeah, no. Nah. He it, when he came down with the with his uh, flying headbutt, Chris Noir was a solid two hundred and forty five pounds, like just solid, you know. So he came down with the headbutt. I'm going to put up the knees, but he didn't come from the side. He didn't come from this side. He didn't come from the left or the right. He came from. Well, behind my head. So in order for me to get the knees up, guess where my knees have to go? Gotcha. Almost all the way. <laughs> so to bring my knees yeah. all the way atop my head, my back is going to be off the ground. So there was no support when he crashed into my knees and my back exploded. Oh, uh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. And um, again, a proud moment. I still finished the match, still had to lift him up in a suplex-like position for him to knee me in the head and take me down. For So it was great, uh, for, for again, for, for me. But that was the injury. That's what – I mean, I couldn't walk afterwards. I made it to the back and I collapsed, but I couldn't walk. I had to go hide behind some crates so nobody saw me. <laughs> gotcha. So obviously, like you said, supposedly, I guess you were going to win if they were really looking for you and then they created Morrison. No, no, Morrison no, ends up winning. no, no. Benoit was going to win. Benoit just obviously couldn't be at the event. Well, yeah, right, right. So I would have, I, I would have been the guy that they would have made champion because they wanted me and I wasn't there. So I would have become the champion because Vince likes to have the baby face to chase. Right. And then Punk would have chased you right. as champion. Gotcha. And again, I'm okay with that. I wouldn't have wanted it under those circumstances anyways. Gotcha. Makes sense. So what led to the release? Like, why did you end up leaving WWE? I was injured. I was trying to get the Pope character over. 
I, and I've never been injured. Injured. Let's just say I had a bad ankle. Uh, sprained my ankle, trying to get out, couldn't get out. Uh, as far as the Pope goes, get the Pope out there, couldn't get it out there. And and uh, Creative had the mascots came. Creative had nothing for me, and that was it. And then, like you mentioned before, you ended up in uh, TNA for a while. Uh, like, obviously, under the guys at Dixie, but during the, the Hogan era, you ended up uh, coming in there as the Pope and just having a great run in TNA. Before Hogan. Well, Hogan. I guess it was right before Hogan, and then Hogan kind of takes over, right? No, Hogan didn't come in in 2010. I was there in 2009. Okay, gotcha. Actually, 2008, but I never debuted to 2009 um, in May, I believe, so... Uh, but yeah, so no, that 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 TNA that was great, wonderful time, um, family atmosphere. Yes, totally different from WWE at the time. Complete creative control per se. So I did of the Pope because I got to do what I wanted to do with the Pope, and uh, Vince Russo never came out. Um, I always give him credit. He always. He never took a sheet of paper and tried to script Pope. He said, bro, bro, you're Pope, bro. I cannot write for I am a 40-year-old Italian, bro. How can I write for the Pope? What does the Pope think? What does the Pope? You know that, bro. Go be Pope. So for everybody that gives him crap, I give him um you know, I give him kudos for that uh, because that's the same guy that, uh, for lack of better terms, he wasn't The Rock. He couldn't be The Rock, but I'm sure he helped maybe give ideas, but Rock, go be Rock. Stone Cold, go be Stone Cold. Pope, I'm not on their level, but Pope, go be Pope. That's what he did. Go be Pope. That's kind of like the genius of it, right? I mean, it's it's when to step back and say, "Hey, I can't right. give this guy a script," right? I mean, that's like the genius of it a little bit, where it's like you got to collaborate, but you can't tell the guy exactly what to say. It would wouldn't be their character, right? So with him, you guys obviously had a pretty good relationship. You and Vince Russo. I mean, again, professional relationship. Um, never, yeah, it was good. I don't, I, I can't think of one time that it wasn't. Pretty good run, if I remember correctly. TNA. I mean, Kurt Angle, a Sting, Abyss, a team with Nash a little bit. I mean, you had a Samoa Joe. I mean, you had a really good run in TNA back then. Yeah, t- t- again, um, gonna have rough patches anywhere you go, but um, I look back on my time in TNA as being um, very positive. With like the TNA and everything that happened there. And, you know, you, as you start to go forward, I mean, they had to almost be like the commissioner role. Then you said, when you came back, you did the commentary role. You'd like to do a, a bunch of different things. It's one of those things where they kind of want you to do all that stuff. Or is that you wanting, like you said, for wanting to do the different roles and any opportunity they give you, you want to do. Yeah. When opportunity comes, you seize it. So yeah. Um, opportunity was just there. And, you know, I'm not going to back down from it. Every opportunity, every new opportunity is is your next greatest challenge. And and I look forward to my next greatest challenge. I feel like you and Josh Matthews had some pretty good uh, 
uh, chemistry as far as just like like a commentary team. Like yeah. we didn't expect it, but I was like, wow, look at this Pope and yeah. Josh Matthews out of nowhere. They're a great team yeah. together. Yeah, yeah, that 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 kind of just worked itself out. Josh, Josh helped me greatly in the beginning of, but all, all of the my job was just to get over the talent. And by me being a talent, I knew how to get over other people and uh, verbally. So um, that's why Mancho was great. That's why Mr. Perfect was better. That's why Bobby Heenan was the greatest, you know, like, and the list goes on. So as we head towards the finish here, head towards the wind down, what's next for you? Like, what else you got? I know you kind of briefly mentioned before, but what are you up to next? What's uh, what's the story? Championship, that's next. Yeah, that, that, that is next. I got a couple of shows. Um, and then again, I don't know where we're at in, in this time slot, but, you know, I'm staying busy. Um, NWA is my focus. Uh, NWA World's uh, Heavyweight Championship is my focus. Um, to become the second band in seven to four years to hold that title um, will be history making. And, and um, probably the no doubt the biggest accolade that um, I could uh, obtain. Um, There's only one title that carries such uh, prestige, such, such royalty. Luthez, Jack Briscoe, you know, Dory Funk, Terry Funk, Ric Flair, you know, Ricky Steamboat, Dusty Rose, and the list goes on. So um, there's only one title in wrestling that carries that prestige, and that's the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship. With you, when you look back at your career, and obviously it's still going, you still got many of the time left. You got the NWA titles in your in your uh, sights there. Do you have any regrets, like in the business at all? Anything you look back, like wish you did differently, or something that you wish maybe would have gone differently? Uh. <sighs> Just one, but that has nothing to do with the business. I was on this, I was filming Jay Gold Chain, was on on set there for about two and a half, three months. And I it's, it's just not a, I always tell people that's the only challenging one. It's not a regret because I did what was right for me. Um I did what was right for my business. Um but TNA called me from the set and needed me to come back to start the BFG series, which was a battle royal, and we weren't filming. And I decided to, uh, because filming was paused, Leonardo DiCaprio was sick. Filming was paused, rain happened. Filming was paused because it was outside. We were shooting a lot outside uh, with Jane going chain. And um, I was aware that when filming resumed, they were going to need my face. Uh, They were going to need me in the camera. And we all had stand-ins. And they told me they needed me, and I tried to back back them off. And I'm like, hey, no, no, hey, like they. And I go talk to the producers or the the PAs, I should say, and they're, they're like, look, uh, when Leo is, says he's ready, we're going to start filming, so you can take a chance and fly back, and then come right back. But if we start filming tomorrow, uh, we're you're going to lose your spot. And this is going to be a red carpet event. This is going to be big movies, Quentin Tarantino. And um, I went back. I agreed for them to fly me out, them being TNA, for just that taping, and then fly me back to 
uh, New Orleans, the, you know, the, the right after the tapings, and I got called, and um, she informed me that they were filming and they used my placement, so uh, no longer be needed. So that was a that was a again, it's not a regret. I I made that decision, but I did so because TNA for those two and a half three months I was away, my my check was always in the mail, so. You know, I got I got to go with my bread is buttered. Yes, it would have been cool to be featured in that movie and to be on the red carpet and have my name in the credits. Uh, but I decided to be loyal where loyalty was being you know presented to me. So, but that's kind of a if if you want to call it that. There's no regret. I made my decision, but that's the only. That's about it. Is Hollywood, was that always kind of a no. thought of yours? And no, acting in Hollywood, no? I've, I've done plenty of acting. Uh, uh, again, no, nobody, I came, I came in the world of wrestling to be a wrestler, not a Hollywood actor. How did that, uh, Django, how did that happen? Like, how did you get that role just to begin with? I got an agent. I have an agent in Quentin Tarantino. Contacted my agent and said, told her that he wanted me. He literally picked me out of a lineup. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. So he picked. Is that me. easy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, apparently he saw me, so they 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 sent the picture where they had circled my picture and amongst other pictures, he wanted me on there. I was supposed to be a, a Mandingo, so I was supposed to be on Leonardo's DiCaprio's. I don't know if you saw that movie or not, but yep, good movie. So I was supposed to be the one that was fighting in the house. I was supposed to be the one that carried Leonardo when he's dead. I don't know. I only know the script. I never saw the movie. So it's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> so for you though, when when you kind of just look ahead, where do you want to be just going forward? I know you said NWA champion, but anything else on the horizon? Anything else you you're looking forward to, or anywhere else you want to wrestle, or anything yeah. else you want to be doing in the business? No, I, I just I just want to uh, continually uh, make progress. I want to continually entertain um, wherever that may be. I have no um, I have no specifics i just want to keep doing what pope is doing and that's entertaining that's run my charity help make a difference and put smiles on the faces of people uh, across the world that's that's it one more time please uh, tell everybody just where they can find the charity and and everything thank you for that uh the love alive charity love dash alive.org that is uh where you can go and read up on my charity that's the charity's website you can also follow us on um the love alive charity on facebook as well as the love alive charity on instagram um again um our 10th annual event is coming up and it is going to uh be a be a big moment for me um to, to, to know the amount of time and effort that I put into it. So uh, the money that I put into it, and for those of you who have sold a seat with us, it's a big moment for you as well. 10 years, 10 years. And uh, we're gonna continue to do what we do. And so I appreciate you guys. And if you wanna follow me, you can go do so on love-alive. Look at me, love-alive.org. You can go follow <laughs> me at the Black Pope. I gotta plug you gotta plug that charity, man. But at the Black Pope, DA Black Pope on Twitter, DA Black Pope on Instagram, as well as Facebook.com slash Elijah Burke. 
or AKA the Pope, because there's many Elijah Burks out there. Uh, we get that. Y'all know how that goes. And you can also go check out, uh, if you ever want to see where your money goes, you want to see if you donated a dollar or two or five dollars, if you want to see it in action for the Love of Life charity, go to Pope TV. Yes, I got plenty of stuff over there on Pope TV on YouTube, but the charity is there as well. You can see the hundreds of people lined up all the way around the block, 400 people just lined up waiting for a hot meal and a chance to maybe get, you know, get some clothes or a pair of shoes or whatever. So, uh, and of course, be sure to watch me on NWA Power on Fight TV. It's only $5 a month. Um, most of us spend um, more than that. $5 a month was that $55 a year, 60, whatever. We spend more than that on the weekend. Don't, don't, don't stop telling NWA you want them back on YouTube because we all got to get paid. We all got to make a living. And um, I think the product is well worth that, uh, if not more, obviously, but it's well worth the $5 a month. Oh, for sure. So yeah, definitely check out the NWA on Fight. Pope, thank you so much for all the time today. Really appreciate it. I appreciate you. And thank you again for supporting Pope, having me on, and for supporting the charity. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the two-man power trip of wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash tmptempire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two Man Power Trip, where the power lies brother.